This is FemPower Health. Each week, top women's health experts dispel fact from fiction. The most important pelvic floor exercise is not the Kegel. Challenge the status quo. It's never easy to challenge the accepted leaders, and especially if you're a woman. Provide perspective on why your healthcare journey may be so tough. All of that fear and worry, it all upregulates our nervous system, puts us into fight or flight mode, and increases our pain sensitivity. And what you can do about it. The number one thing is you have to advocate for yourself, and you have to be prepared. Your journey to get empowered starts now. We found that 20% of the change in bone over one year was related to the length of the luteal phase in 66 healthy women. If you are in the younger demographic of my listeners and just got this episode on bone health popping up in your feed, don't hit pause quite yet because this applies to those of us in all ages. So first, quickly some data. The National Osteoporosis Foundation states that approximately 10 million Americans have osteoporosis and another 44 million have low bone density, placing them at increased risk. Now, if you can believe it, half of all adults age 50 or older are at risk of breaking a bone and should be concerned about their bone health. And that's 54 million Americans. And so today we are talking with Dr. Jerry Lynn Pryor, who is an endocrinologist and founder of SEMCOR, which is the Center for Menstrual Cycle and Ovulation Research. This is her fourth appearance on the FemPower Health podcast because you all love what she says, and honestly, so do I. So we start this episode by talking about the ABCs of bone health, but then we dive into all the nuances you need to know and how the way you treat your body in your younger years impacts what happens when you do get older and are at increased risk. And we will also answer the questions you shared with me on social media. So stay tuned and let's hear what Dr. Pryor has to say. Thank you so much for joining. This is our fourth interview together, and we are here to talk about bone health. And thank you for agreeing. I think I'd reached out to your team saying, who should we interview? And you said, I'll do it. So here we are. And what's great is this is a hot topic. I post a lot on getting input from people on the types of questions they have. And I got a lot of very specific questions. And so I'm really excited to have this discussion because I do have some general things that I think people need to know, but there's some very specific questions that I think would be um, helpful to answer. Why don't we start today with the foundations for long-term bone health? And I know that's a very big question. So I didn't know if it would even be helpful because I thought about when I wrote this question out, if maybe the question is, what is optimal bone health as we age? Because I always like to start with what should we expect? Because we're never really told what normal is on anything. So maybe we should define what is optimal bone health as we age. And then we can talk about things that can impact that. Years ago, I was being interviewed by a radio station and I had to run down there in a you know, rainstorm on a Saturday morning. And as I was running, literally, I made up the ABCs of osteoporosis prevention. And I think that's a good starting place for talking about the essentials for bone health. So A for active, 
In other words, physical activity, movement of our bodies in any sort, and, and don't exclude swimming if you like it. People sometimes say bicycling isn't as good as walking or running, but you're pushing on the pedals and your bum is sitting on the seat, so there's gravity, you know, etc. So whatever activity you like to do, do it for half an hour a day, at least. B is for brawny. Now that doesn't mean, you know, Schwarzenegger or, you know, muscle building kind of thing, but muscle and bone are tightly tied together as our body weight and bone. Therefore, keeping a steady weight and having a sufficient muscle mass is extremely important for bone. So C is for calcium, which everyone knows, but it's, it's a uh, nutrient that we need to take as, as much as possible as part of our food. In other words, in things that give us protein and magnesium and vitamin D and other things because it doesn't stand alone. D is for vitamin D, obviously. And, and vitamin D is essential, especially in northern hemispheres or far south hemispheres, because for many months of the year, even though Vancouver, for example, is in the, the lowest part of, the, of Canada, from October until March, the sun simply doesn't have a straight enough angle to the earth for us to make vitamin D in our skin, which is a major source of vitamin D. So everyone needs a thousand units of vitamin D every day. Now this is not what the nutrient recommendations say, but it's safe to 4,000 units a day. And older people likely need two, two or 3,000 units a day if they're not in the sun every day. And I learned recently, because we can't know every single medical fact, that sunscreen blocks vitamin D. It doesn't prevent it in the first 20 minutes or so. So, so that's a okay. good thing. In other words, put it on and go out in the sun and you'll still get some sun exposure and vitamin D production. But the package just says don't go outside for 20 minutes or don't go in the water for 20 minutes. <laughs> okay. Do it because you need the vitamin D. Basically what we do is we get vitamin D in the summer and we store it. But by the early, like February, March, we're running out. And vitamin D has effects for bone. It's essential for bone, but it's also part of the immune system. It's, a, it's an absolutely essential nutrient. E for easygoing. Because both cortisol, which is the adrenal stress hormone, and norepinephrine, epinephrine, the kind that makes your heart go flutter, fluttery, fluttery, and you feel like you're, you know, run away or something, both of them have negative effects on bone. So the more confident you are in yourself, the more supported by you are by your community, the less bone loss you will have. Really? Yeah. F is for fertility. Now, not just because you might want to have a baby, but because progesterone is the hormone that's essential 
for fertility for women and adequate estrogen and progesterone obviously are needed and in men androgens or testosterone is needed and those are key hormones for bone you can't understand bone at all and then g and h are good habits oh i love that that's not smoking not over caffeinating yourself avoiding a lot of cola type drinks that have huge phosphate load which are hard on bones and aren't good for you anyway <laughs> in general thinking about yourself and your bones as part of a whole healthy organism. Then you can go on to the next GHI, inhibit bone resorption, which is bone loss, which is the biggest process in human bone. The therapies for that are only generally needed for women who are menopausal or men who are losing bone rapidly. Okay. That's it. That's it. So then for brawny, um, I, I do want to go into brawny and calcium. So for brawny, I think about how media has promoted, and thankfully things are changing, the, you know, very thin woman. So tell us what, when you say brawny, like how you're defining that, and then help us understand the health impacts on our bones by the way the media has promoted what the ideal woman should look like. If you see someone and they, they have no swelling in their forearm, you, you, you know, you can't see any muscle right. when they squeeze a fist. That, that's okay. not good. In other words, we need muscles for moving our body about. We need muscles for breathing. Our heart is a muscle. We need muscle tone and normal muscles, and they're carefully tied also to calcium and vitamin D, just like bone is. So, so first of all, make sure you're strong enough to walk for an hour, to climb stairs, to do your normal daily activities. That's what's important. And some people are very slim and still have lots of muscle. But the other is we do need body fat, especially women. And subcutaneous fat is not negative for the cardiovascular system. It's what gives us our curves. And so if you lose that subcutaneous fat, you have no reserve for weight loss if you're you know, exercising more or temporarily can't eat enough. Okay. Because any change in body weight is associated with a change in bone, in particular, any weight loss. So you can be too heavy to be healthy and go on the healthiest kind of weight loss diet. And if you do it too quickly, you're going to be losing bone and you won't be able to put that bone back. It's just not good. So basically what I would say to my patients when I was seeing patients was, don't lose more than a half a pound a week. Because if you, if you lose very, very slowly, then the body doesn't get into, oh, this poor woman is starving. We've got to protect her against, you know, famine. So then is this also why the body, because, you know, a lot of people talk about when they get into perimenopause and are postmenopausal, they start to gain weight. Is the body like designed to do that in part to help protect the bone? 
Yes, I think so. I think so. We don't know precisely how that happens, but if you prevent it, and there was a randomized trial that did prevent it, and their aim was cardiovascular, and they showed profound bone loss. So in other words, if you gain a little bit of weight, and it's subcutaneous fat weight, which is usually the case in perimenopause, the fat itself can make estrogen, which prevents rapid bone loss because your ovaries are making, eventually making less estrogen. So onto calcium. I've seen some reports on doses. I don't even know if there's like the type of calcium. I also know there's certain other vitamins and minerals you can take that I've heard cancel out the calcium. So when we talk about calcium, can you tell us like what we need to know to get the right amount to prevent unnecessary bone loss? There's a whole bunch of stuff. It isn't just the calcium in the food, it's the absorption and that is carefully controlled. And one of the the important things that estrogen does is to facilitate the absorption of calcium from our gut. I mean, it's something people don't think about, but it's one of the roles, and it doesn't take very much estrogen to, to do that improved calcium gut absorption. Most important, I think, is calcium needs to come from food. This idea that we're all going to be popping calcium pills is just silly. If you're someone who likes dairy products, I would have a dairy serving with each meal and one at bedtime. And that's about 300 milligrams in each. A healthy diet has about 300 from other sources. So you have sufficient amount with that. Okay. Just remember, cottage cheese does not have dairy serving amount of calcium in it. Yogurt and milk do and doesn't take much cheese. Now, if you had to supplement, like, for example, I'm dairy-free. I cannot have dairy. So if I were to supplement, like, what kind of, what are the considerations, I should say, in supplementation? Just plain calcium, uh, whatever. You don't have to have it with magnesium. This is one of the biggest misunderstandings in this whole calcium debacle thing, is because rodents that are the main animals of study require uh, don't have very much magnesium in their diet. So they need extra magnesium in order to absorb calcium or use it properly. But humans have a lot of magnesium in our diets and we don't need supplements in general. However, if you get constipated from calcium, then it's a good idea to take it with magnesium because it helps with the bowels. And if you need to supplement, the most valuable time of day to supplement is bedtime. Why? Because overnight, normally, there's not much calcium to be absorbed from our intestines. And overnight, there's an increase in bone resorption. So if we take calcium at bedtime, it can help prevent that. Does bone loss to some degree happen with everyone as we age. Yes. And so what does that loss look like? And here's why I ask this. So, you know, you've given the ABCs and that's fine. But again, back to, we don't really know what 
to be expecting with our bodies. And so we're kind of guessing and usually only know if like something's really bad. And so if someone were to be looking at their body and start to say, oh, something's not right. Like what would that be with when it comes to bone loss? Usually you don't know you have bone loss unless you have a fracture. You break something with a, with a minor fall. Should there be ways to be able to proactively measure bone loss? And, and what would be the need for that? So I think we need to think about a whole life cycle of bone. And here's my view, and, and the evidence supports this. If we gain to a high peak, and it happens for our hip bones in the late teen years, it happens for the spine a bit later, for both men and women. If we then maintain that high peak until things like menopause, where every woman loses bone, we still will not end up at a risk for osteoporosis or fracture until we're over 80. So that's the, t- the typical cycle that we should be experiencing, the ideal. That's right. And, and those people who, without meaning to, have lost a lot of weight, you know, say they were ill or something, um, those people who are very overweight and have not enough muscle to go with that overweight are at increased risk for fracture. That's something we never realized before. And they typically get different fractures, like of the lower leg, whereas the more common osteoporotic fractures are the wrist. Um, for, for women, is the most common fracture. And for men, the most common is rib. Why is that? Not clear, except that rib has very little cortical bone and lots of cancellous or honeycomb-like bone, which resorbs more quickly. So here's a question for you that I hadn't really, just the way you're phrasing it, like something has to happen for the breakage of the bone. And the reason why we'd be concerned that it's osteoporosis is that it happens very easily, correct? That's right. A couple of things here. So one is, what is the best way to reverse, slow down, or stop? For example, you talked about the the ABCs, which is a great framework, right? So is it doing more of that? So what can you do? All of the above. Good health in the terminology of the WHO. Mental, physical, emotional, social, cultural, good health. Can you reverse it? Not easily. Not easily. But, I mean simply simple things if you're if your bone is low and you're doing everything else you can to prevent bone loss improving your balance improving your muscle strength especially core strength that tends to get weaker as we get older so if you can't sit up easily in bed without using your hands you you need to work on your core strength for example um those things can prevent a fracture, which is what we care about. So the bottom line is we want to not break anything. FemPower Health is pleased to partner with the upcoming FemTech and Consumer Innovation Summit. 
The summit is the latest deep dive event, part of the Women's Health Innovation Series, looking to tackle this growing sector of women's health, having had continental success in driving innovation, investment, research, and partnerships in traditional women's health care by bringing together critical stakeholders. Join us in New York on June 7th and 8th as we channel this success into the consumer sector of women's health. Visit www.femtechconsumerinnovation.com to view the superstar speaker lineup and enter code FEMPOWER15 for 15% off your ticket. Hope to see you there. Some studies are indicating that daily collagen supplements can help make your bones denser, slowing the aging process that makes them brittle, and helping your body produce new bone. Doesn't sound very logical to me. Because if you take collagen, it's a protein. The body's going to break it down into its bits and pieces and use it as it needs. I want to give you some reassuring evidence. We asked uh, people in the the Canadian Multicenter Osteoporosis Study to do a food frequency questionnaire. In other words, they wrote down what they ate for several days. A weekend day and two weekdays. And we put all of the data into a, you know, a big churn and it came out being two different kinds of diet patterns. One is the typical Western type of diet that tends to be calorie dense. And the other was a more healthy diet that tends to be nutrient dense. Okay. Okay. When we did this kind of separation of women's diet and looked at their change in bone, those who had the more healthy, nutrient-dense diet, less fat and fried and dessert stuff, lost bone at a much slower rate than did the women with the more Western-type typical diet. And those women with the healthy diet also had fewer fractures. So that's how important the whole diet is. This idea of finding out this nutrient, that nutrient, supplementing, you know, stuff is really not the way to go. A Mediterranean healthy diet, lots of fruits and vegetables, lots of variety is the right way to go. In fact, there's evidence that when women are planning on going on a diet, they're already stressed. And they start losing before they've even, they lose bone before they've even lost weight. So that E for easy going is, is the thing we always forget. So what about if someone has osteoporosis? What do they do? I mean, is this going back to the same things we discussed earlier about just doing the, the ABCs? Because, you know, there's a lot of medications out there that are prescription products and things like that. What can someone do? If you have broken a bone without a major fall, that means you have osteoporosis in my book. So I'm, I'm less likely to consider someone else having, having osteoporosis. In fact, I don't if they have a very low bone density. So the fracture is what counts. So don't ignore a fracture. Don't ignore a wrist fracture even if you got over it fine, etc. That's telling you you're at risk for a hip fracture or a spine fracture. 
and doctors may not say it to you. That's one of the problems is that the people who take care of the broken bones don't know much about how bone heals, except for broken bones. They don't know how to treat osteoporosis. And rarely do they tell the people they're, they're fixing the broken bone in that they have osteoporosis and they need treatment. Got it. So um, then what would the treatment be? There's, there's two sort of groups of treatments available. Treatments that work like estrogen, which slow bone loss. So those are all of the bisphosphonates, the, the medicine called denosumab, which is an antibody against rank ligand. So, so those are the common ones. And then there very rarely are the injection of medicine called parathyroid hormone medicine, which works primarily to build bone. What's important to know, balance is important, and we have to have bone resorption or bone loss because it's one way of getting calcium in emergency, and every cell needs calcium. Okay, so so there is a normal bone loss, plus we need to renew our skeleton, take away the old bone and replace it with newer bone. Okay, so bone loss isn't always a bad thing. Okay, but it needs counterbalancing by bone formation. For women, and this is why this is the work I've done all my life, is if you have enough estrogen, which means you're having a regular cycle, you also need enough progesterone, which means you need to ovulate most cycles. And estrogen prevents bone loss, progesterone increases bone formation. So this is something that is still not in the textbooks, but there's absolutely strong data that this is true. For men, their testosterone does both what estrogen does and what progesterone does. It both slows loss and it increases bone formation. If you're thinking about this bone loss or bone loss, bone formation balance, what happens when we take a medicine that slows bone resorption is that it also slows bone formation. And that's not a good thing. So the common osteoporosis medicines eventually result in less bone being formed as well as preventing bone loss. So my, my thought, and it needs to be tested in a randomized trial, is that if you take one of those anti-resorptive bisphosphonate, usually, bone medicines, if you took it with progesterone, you would have a greater benefit than either alone. Interesting. We did a meta-analysis of, of the very few randomized trials that randomized menopausal women to estrogen alone or estrogen with progestin or progesterone. And the data clearly showed a much greater gain in bone in those on both than in those on estrogen alone. Wow. 
So you're saying that the the three different options that you gave as far as medications people can take and progesterone would be ideal, but needs to be studied further. It doesn't it doesn't make sense to combine PTH, parathyroid hormone, which already works on bone formation, with progesterone because they would work similarly. But the common medicines for osteoporosis work by slowing bone resorption. And it does make sense for women to take that with progesterone. Got it. Okay, that makes sense. And remember that, because we haven't talked much about older women, but progesterone effectively controls hot flushes, and it significantly improves sleep. And if you're overweight, it makes you burn more calories a day. I had someone write back and say, what if you don't want to take the bisphosphonates? And I guess because of the estrogen. So I know that you listed out a few different options for what women could take. So if it's not the bisphosphonates, they could take one of the other two? It's usually the preference of the doctor and what's newest on the block kind of thing. Yeah, I don't think we have time to go into all the, you know, difficulties with each of the medicines that we have. Um, What is important is that most of them should only be taken for five years. So you want to optimize the positive benefit of these anti-resorptive medicines while you're taking them. So that when you finish your risk for fracture is going to be much less than it was when you started. So back to the bisphosphonates question, the other two options could work if someone didn't want to take it. Well, there's downsides with denosumab. When you stop it, you lose bone rapidly and, and some women will start fracturing. Even if they've been taking it five years? Whenever you stop it. And estrogen is the same. Dropping estrogen levels are one of the biggest risks for bone loss. And what about the injection? Same thing? Parathyroid Mm -hmm. hormone? No, there isn't rapid bone loss from that. But it's, you know, it involves a a shot under the skin for a year or two years. And in fact, that one can only be taken for two years. So then let me ask you this. Like, well, first is it's only once you're diagnosed with osteoporosis that you would need any of these, correct? This is not something you would do proactively as like, I turned 80, let me take these, correct? No, that's correct. But you can diagnose yourself with osteoporosis if you have a broken bone that was a fall from a standing height. If you were diagnosed with osteoporosis, what would you do? I would take probably bisphosphonate. But I might take an old-fashioned one that doesn't cause heartburn. It's one that never was in the United States at all, called etidronate. So you would take it for two weeks out of every three months. You can take it in the middle of the night. It doesn't, it's okay with your stomach. So you don't have to miss your breakfast or wait your breakfast while you're taking this pill. And I would take it with progesterone. And I should and I should say that every woman who has or man who has osteoporosis should be on at least three thousand unit well should be on three thousand units of vitamin D a day. Okay. What would you want us to also discuss related to bone loss that I haven't asked? Because you know this is such an important 
topic. And I do feel like in the general public, it potentially might be oversimplified. And perhaps it's because it's assumed that someone's older, it's just going to happen. Kind of like with menopause. Okay, of course, you're just going to get hot flashes. And then everyone just lets it go. And it's like, hold on a minute. There's this whole background on how you get there. And so is it really as straightforward as following the ABCs? And if we do, we should all be in a relatively good place. We want a quick fix. And bone is not a quick fix. You know, you have to understand the pattern of bone across the life cycle. And, and here's one part that I didn't mention that's really important. Anyone who has teenage daughters, if you can avoid their using combined hormonal contraceptives, the birth control pill, during their teen years, please do. For sure, don't let it be used for anything other than contraception. And if they need contraception, it's far better to use something like a copper IUD where they don't have to remember to take a pill. The reason I say that is because, remember, we talked about the peak bone mass. Birth control pills significantly interferes with development of peak bone mass. And I remember when I first looked at the question back in early 2000s in the Canadian Multicenter Osteoporosis Study, we found women who'd ever used it had lower bone density. And it wasn't clear why. And we never did figure it out from those data. But at the same time, I found there were several large studies that showed unexpectedly those menopausal women who'd used the birth control pill had more fractures than those who hadn't. So there are some negative things, even though it's got high-dose estrogen in it. What about luprolide? It is a very common medication for both endometriosis and uh, for fertility treatments. Like I was on it and, you know, there's a lot of advocacy groups who really fight against that type of medication. And I know there's newer ones coming out that don't have the similar side effects of the bone loss, et cetera. By definition, if you lower estrogen, you're causing bone loss. And you need to lower estrogen often, for sure, with endometriosis, because estrogen's what feeds that little nubbin of tissue where it doesn't belong and makes it bleed. So what do those of us in this situation need to know then? Try to avoid it if you can and limit the time on which you're on it. When you're on it, make sure you get enough vitamin D and calcium at the very least. Um, And if you can, for sure, add back a little bit of transdermal, you know, patch estrogen and progesterone. And that's what's usually missing from the add back stuff is enough progesterone. Okay. When I'm talking about progesterone, I'm talking about oral micronized progesterone taken as little round ball capsules and at bedtime. You need to take it at bedtime because it does make you drowsy. What about vaginal um, uh, suppositories? Vaginal suppositories of progesterone are absorbed. We don't know as much about the right dose. Uh, To prevent a miscarriage, it takes 400 milligrams, which is a big dose, twice a day. That I do know. And we don't know much about it in bone. 
I'm glad I asked that question then. Um, and what about progesterone and oil? Well, it should be in oil. All of the oral ones are they in are. oil. Okay. Yes. Got it. Because I, yes. I, I guess when I think of the progesterone and oil, back to my fertility days again, I remember that big needle sticking it in the vial oh. and right in my rear end every single day. <laughs> well, that for sure gets it into your system. <laughs> oh my gosh. Not fun, but I don't know why one would ever nowadays yeah. need to use an injection yeah. rather than orally. Good. But in the early days, we didn't have progesterone. Okay. Yeah, no, that's true. And then I did want to ask, because you mentioned this earlier, and I know we've had a lot of discussions on progestin versus progesterone. And you had mentioned, you know, adding a progestin or a progesterone to the medications. So is it that okay. in this case, because we're older, it's not as impactful, whether it's progestin or progesterone? Ideally, it would be progesterone. Okay. The problem is that the the progestins that are synthetic are largely derived from testosterone. Right. Except for medroxyprogesterone, which increases the risk for breast cancer. So then it's okay, but not great? Is that what I'm hearing? Yes, I would never ever take the medroxyprogesterone right. along with estrogen. That right. We know that increases breast cancer. But if you can't afford oral micronized progesterone, then you could use medroxyprogesterone if your own estrogen levels are low. Anything else that we should discuss with bone health? Or have we covered all our bases? Like any other misnomers that you're hearing or gaps in research that we really need to be considering? I, I would say we don't have the perfect treatment yet for osteoporosis, and the bone field is very pharmaceutical. In fact, I dropped my longtime membership in the American Society for Bone and Mineral Research, largely because they were not paying any attention to physiology and to progesterone in particular. It's still not in the textbooks that progesterone increases bone formation. And, and let me just describe how I learned is because we found that 20% of the change in bone over one year was related to the length of the luteal phase in 66 healthy women. 20% is huge. Calcium explain, didn't explain anything. The dietary intake explained 3%. Now, here is one thing we didn't talk about. Family history matters. So ask your granny, ask your people, all the relatives you know that are now older, ask them if they've ever broken a bone. And if it's a finger or a toe, you can ignore it. Otherwise, you can't. Because what we also know, which isn't in the textbooks, is that if you have a relative who's had a broken bone without a fall of any significance, your rate of bone loss is greater. Interesting. So I saw that my mother got shorter and also got a hunch in her back, which meant she was breaking the bones in her back. Therefore, I paid attention from the very early years to my own bone health. And so you can, if you have such a family history, 
Make sure you get enough calcium. Make sure you get enough vitamin D. Make sure you're not on a yo-yo diet. Make sure you do regular activity. Deal with stressors. And if you're having trouble with ovulation, take progesterone 14 days each menstrual cycle. So I will have to say, as I'm listening to you, my grandmother is 99. She will be 100 this coming January. She is a rock star. She had 15 kids. At the age of 50, escaped Hungary with her 14, wow. well, 14 kids, because one had passed when it was born. Um, cool rock star. And she was actually hit by a car. She would walk to the grocery store. Yeah, very independent. And uh, she would walk to the grocery store. And one day she got hit by a car, but she was doing the waltz not soon after. <laughs> I mean, wow. grandma style, not like, you know, <laughs> but she was, I think, in her 80s when this happened wow. and she swims every day. And so I'm hoping that that is a good sign for me. <laughs> Strong yes, bones. Yes. <laughs> that is a reassuring thing, because um, when I first went away to university, I lost my period totally. And I knew I wasn't losing weight. I knew I wasn't pregnant. And I never told anyone. And when the stress of that year was over, I went back home and worked in the summer and my period came back. But I know that I didn't ovulate normally until I was in my mid-20s. But I have strong bones now and I've never broken anything. So, so think about your body is trying its very best. All we need to do is to help yep. it. Okay. That's awesome. And and I love that it's fairly simple and straightforward. Like, again, so many of our discussions have so many like twists and turns where it's like, how do we make sense of it? And finally, we've gotten to something where it's like, can we, it's, it's fairly simple. I mean, again, we need more research because changing the way people think and whatnot, um, that's a whole other feat in and of itself, which you're very well aware of. <laughs> and changing how you eat is not a trivial job either. And I know it's been um, some experimentation, that is for sure. But don't go on any, you know, one thing type diet. Don't do it. Whatever you do, think about it being something that you could continue and enjoy. If there's other things you want to discuss or if there's any way that I can support your efforts, you know that I'm here for you. At some point, I'd love to talk to you about the study we did during the pandemic. That would be great. Because that's very relevant for your audience. Interesting. Truly, this has been an honor and I hope you have an awesome, well-deserved summer off. Take care. Thank you for tuning in to this discussion on the FemPower Health podcast. You can refer to the show notes for links to information that is referred to in this episode. And if you like this episode and found it timely and valuable, please take a moment to tell a friend or a colleague about FemPower Health. And right after this episode is over, please think of one person who might find this episode helpful and tell them about it. And if your friend is new to podcasting, please show them 
them how to subscribe to our show. And another way to support FemPower Health Podcast is to leave a review where you listen to podcasts. And as a reminder, the information shared by FemPower Health is not medical advice, but for information purposes to enable you to have more effective conversations with your doctor. Always talk to your doctor before making health-related decisions. Additionally, the views expressed by the FemPower Health podcast guests are their own, and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. See you next week. And that wraps up another empowering session here at the FemPower Health Podcast. Now, before you dash off, I've got a quick, exciting invitation for you. Please join our vibrant community by subscribing to our weekly newsletter, because it's really your frontline update on groundbreaking women's health research, the latest health-enhancing products, fun quizzes to boost your health IQ, and unique discoveries that you won't want to miss. All of this delivered straight to your inbox, cutting through the noise of social media algorithms. Love today's insights? Show your support by rating and reviewing our podcast. Your feedback is more than just a pat on our backs here at FemPower Health. It lights the way for others seeking guidance and community in their health journey, amplifying the voices that need to be heard. And for a deeper dive into today's topics, check out the show notes and explore our website at fempower-health.com. Our site is a treasure trove of knowledge, neatly categorized by topics of interest and life stages ensuring you find exactly what you need to empower your health journey. And your voice matters to us deeply. Whether you have a question, a story to share, or feedback on our episodes, reach out directly at info at fempower-health.com. Drop us a message on social media or hit reply on any newsletter. Your insights inspire our conversations. And a quick note, the knowledge we share is here to embolden you in discussions with your healthcare provider. It's not medical advice. Always consult with your doctor for health decisions. And remember, the diverse perspectives of our guests reflect their individual journeys, and it's not an endorsement by FemPower Health. Here's to empowering your health journey one episode at a time, and I'll see you on the next FemPower Health podcast episode.